0: We're gonna remake this country in the street. Don't get hung up in this fourth party bullshit. Don't get hung up in peace candidates. Come on, we gotta fight it out. We're the only power we can build is back to the base. We gotta build a storm base someday. We gotta knock those motherfuckers to control their team.
1: Well, looking outside my window at a 180 air index. I'm Schmitty, and this is Talking Schmidt. Today on the show, I have Dan Lactose and Max Ward from the band Spaz. Peninsula boys that added samples and combined hip-hop and the fastest music they could find to create what some call power violence. But let's not put labels on things. Instead, here's a quick little buy-in tip for getting more thrash when record shopping.
2: The Tower Records, not only would you go off the cover, but you flip it over and how many songs were on the back probably meant that it was pretty fast. So, you know, like whether it was speed metal or whether it was like fast hardcore, like I would just be like, "Ooh, man, there's like 20 songs on this. I bet it's going to be pretty good, you know?
1: Hey, just a quick one before we start. If you haven't already done so, please go to the iTunes store or wherever you get this podcast and give the show a five-star rating with a quick little blurb. You know, just a few little words of kindness or whatever you need to put down. But this apparently is the way to get my sponsors coming after me so we don't have to hear that same anchor commercial every week. I did a little research and apparently that's what it takes. So if you can please get out there and do that, I'd appreciate it. And I don't ask much, believe me. (laughs) Thanks so much. And away we go.
3: Uh, This is Dan Lactose from Spaz. This is Max Ward from Spaz. And you're You're listening listening to to Talking Schmidt. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again.
0: Just give it the old car's turn right here. All big dogs in. Schmitty! 96 times Schmitty.
4: Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the uh, hospital, huh? little bitch. <laughs> I'd be shitting my pants. Your hey, Rolodex is fucking deep. It's about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy doing he thinks he's tough shit? What's up? We're tastemakers. Come
3: on,
0: Schmitty, what the fuck? I'm here for Greg Smith. Yeah!
1: All right, we're back here, and this week we're going deep into the 650 history. We got two thirds of the dudes from the legendary band Spaz. We got uh, Dan Boleri and Max Ward with us this week. What's good, guys? What's going on? What's up, man? Just same old man. Groundhog's Day times a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I got my new photo here from uh, a good friend Kevin Price sent me of Phil Shaw at Greer Park in uh, Palo Alto, and I'm just blown away. This came in the mail, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? But uh, yeah, sweet. more 650 love right here. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, he, he killed that park, man. Like CNN, <laughs> like no that part, yeah, it was just like... Yeah, it was just natural. It was like built by him and for him somehow. (laughs) Right?
1: Jesus. Uh, Let's start like at the very beginning of all this because some little tidbits I know, but I'm going to be honest, there's a lot I don't know. So I may be asking some ignorant questions today, but it's just out of the love and I want to learn. So Stick with me, all you spazaholics out there, because I may ask some <laughs> questions like, "How the fuck did you not know that, bro?" But uh, anyhow, um, from the very beginning, um, Max, you're from where? Were you born and raised?
2: Stanford Hospital.
1: Oh, went Stanford.
2: to yeah, went to Menlo Atherton High. Got kicked out of there. Went to a Mid Pen down in Palo Alto. Okay. And my and my parents. Kept on moving up the peninsula. So first it was like Mellow Park and then Redwood City and then San Mateo.
1: Okay. My brother actually went to Peninsula in San Carlos. I thought it was Mid-Peninsula, but it was a uh, sister of Mid-Peninsula, I guess.
2: No, yeah, no. Yeah.
1: And then
3: Dan, you were born in, in where? Redwood
1: City. At
3: Kaiser? No, I was born in... Uh, Sequoia? Uh, Sequoia.
1: Okay. I was born at Kaiser in Redwood City nice and you went to woodside high yeah okay and were you guys connected before spaz or did you meet in the how did it all go down
3: uh i knew of max because i had heard of plutocracy Uh, because plutocracy at the time was kind of a legendary you know band in in the Redwood City area, along with uh, their big brother band, Immortal Fate. So I would see the stickers and flyers around and, you know, just be a little kid skating around and be like, wow, what is this? You know, (laughs) I don't know what this is, but it looks really cool. So Max
1: was, you were in Plutocracy.
2: Yeah. Was that your first
1: band or had you done a bunch before that?
2: uh, I did, I did, I mean, if we can call it that, I did a few, projects before that um in high school but then plutocracy i think i joined them because they were looking for a drummer when i was a junior so that was like eighty eight, eighty nine, maybe okay. around there yeah and then did plutocracy uh yeah up until what 92 i think uh around there 92 93 and then yeah you know, and it's just small world stuff and particularly, you know, before the internet and stuff like, you know, both Dan and I would go to uh, CFY Records and House of Faith that was down in Palo Alto. And so, you know, you, you hear about people through those kinds of spots, like record stores or skate shops or whatever. You start seeing stickers, maybe like some graffiti or something. And, you know, it's like the, it's the language that you're learning and you're trying to figure out who's who and whatnot. Yeah, you know, totally. Of like when dan and i met it was just kind of like natural like we already knew of each other and heard a lot about each other and just like instantly hit it off just because we had so many like shared interests and stuff
3: yeah and and not just knowing people locally but we pen pals because i was really into tape trading and you know writing letters and i did a i did a zine and uh, we realized that we wrote to a lot of the same people no way. <laughs> like all over the country
2: yeah know. okay Did and you, here we were living in the same city you know
1: like you and know. was see like were you playing shows
2: yeah we played shows so we were playing you know it was right when grindcore kind of like was started and so it was right after the first like early napalm death records and we were influenced I mean first it was like punk rock hardcore and that was fast but then we just progressively got faster over time but at that time people hated that stuff. You know, I mean, this is the time of like, you know, green day and Sam I am and stuff Uh like that. And so there, there, you know, we were just, you know, we weren't getting booked and we had to set up our own shows. And so again, it was like that tight knit when you connect with people, like you just had this real tight knit circle because that's all you had. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did. We did some shows. We played like Pony Express Pizza a lot in Redwood City. Sick. You know. Yeah, and then played. Um,
1: I saw RKL P- there and yeah. verbal no, abuse.
2: I saw, I saw RKL and verbal <laughs> abuse. I I was at those shows, man. Yeah, Pony yeah.
1: Express was the, our spot because I went to Sequoia, which was like right across the street. Yeah. So, uh, oh, and so you were fan or you knew of uh, Discontent? Those were my homies.
2: Dude, Discontent, I mean, those were the guys, like that was the local band that I like looked up. <laughs> tent and vomit from san carlos Yeah, scott hill you know yeah you know so like uh yeah seeing those shows at the pony express like yeah you know i mean it was super uh influential for me and then and then we started playing there ourselves okay so what happens? you guys are
1: how do you guys like actually meet up and discuss starting spaz or I'm i'm assuming the three of you guys were the original it was just you three right
3: it was initially me and Max, oh, okay. uh, trying to just kind of come up with something. Um, we were kind of influenced by some bands that were playing really fast hardcore that was not metal, um, and you know we were just kind of wanting to do this like super fast, super short, like really intense, like blasts, you know. Um, but it, but initially, really how we linked up was through my zine. Oh. And I I met the guitar player, uh, Thomas, of Plutocracy uh, in high school. And, uh, you know, showed him my zine. And he was like, oh, you know, can you put this ad for our demo in, in your zine? And I was like, sure. So I did. And then I gave him a copy. And I think he showed it to Max. No. In the meantime, I had been given... Uh, like either a plutocracy rehearsal. I don't know if the, the flexi was out yet, but, um, you know, we were all kind of doing, it seems like it was such a long period of time, but you know, when Max saying he joined plutocracy in like 88, 89, I mean, I'm talking, this is like maybe two years later, you know? Oh. And, um, yeah. So I had a band called sheep squeeze and we had recorded with Bart at house of faith.
1: Um,
3: And, uh, you know, I used to go to CFY every weekend and hang out with Eugene Robinson. Um, you know, and he really kind of was one of the, he was actually the adult figure that I met who was like, you know, keep making music. This is good. You guys are on the right track, you know? And it's like, Whoa. Um, so he introduced me to Bart and we set up a recording session and we recorded a sheep squeeze studio session that ended up. Coming out as a seven inch that me and my buddy Chris put out ourselves. And I know that, like, you know, I had traded, I think, the seven inch for the flexi with Thomas at, at school.
2: You know, so it's, it's like high school high school connections, you know, and stuff. Wow. It's I mean, cool, Bart's yeah.
1: been doing it forever, huh?
2: Oh, yeah. Bart, Bart's the king, man. He is you the know? king.
1: His ear is yeah. insane, right? Crucial part yeah. of
3: Spaz. Yeah. Very crucial part. Oh, did yeah. he
1: record all of Spaz, too? Yeah.
3: Almost all of it. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, we had the privilege of working with him, too, with Marty and those guys. And uh, it was one day in, one day out, and he did, like, I believe, seven or eight tracks. And he was just like, dude. I was like, this guy is like doing it super fast. Like, I knew that he was sick, but I was like, don't we need? Maybe we need another take? No, no, no. We got this. We got this. And he's just like, do do do. And by the end of the day, he gave us. I was like, what the fuck? is <laughs> made us sound better than we've ever sounded for
2: sure. Yeah, uh, you know, Bart. Bart you know. Makes that connection, that generational connection too, going all the way back to Whipping Boy and like recording a lot of the old Palo Alto bands like Armistice. I think he did PLH and some other bands as well. Right. You know, and was like the elder. So just like how Dan was saying with Eugene, you know, there was these elders from the first iteration of punk hardcore on the peninsula, you know, Ron Issa, Bart, you know, all these people that kind of then you know, brought us up and kind of showed us the way, you know, and Bart, you know, being a, a recording engineer was just instrumental for that, just constantly like supporting us, giving us deals because like we were basically like pooling our allowances, you know, to do it so. we, and yeah. stuff. We
3: used to rehearse in, in the old live room at House of Faith. So we'd figure out, you know, he'd be doing a mix down. So he wouldn't be using that part of the studio. And Max had his drums in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So nice. we'd pull the drums out and that's where Spaz would rehearse. Yeah. Wow, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah th- thank you, Bart.
1: And did the sound, so did the sound evolve as the band played or did, like this is kind of a new, what, what? how do you describe it? What do you call it? Is it called Power Violence? Is that the name of it or what is it?
3: We called it Hardcore. Power Violence kind of, was a uh, phrase our buddy eric wood coined you know later or maybe around the same time but it was never really applied to us as a sound it wasn't really like we were trying to sound power violence because in my mind power violence bands that he calls power violence, none of them sound the same
5: uh-huh.
1: you know
3: it's more of a of a of a mental state maybe oh. a mind mindset of of how you create the music and and I, I would guess, you know, I don't really know how to explain it.
2: Yeah. And and we were influenced by, you know, again, going back to like old Oxnard bands, DRI, attitude adjustment, you know, stuff like that. But for the early nineties, just trying to like push that further to the extreme. And we were influenced by bands like Crossed Out and Infest and some of these really, really fast bands. But, you know, a lot of these categories get in the way because what they, they, they break apart the connections of how things evolve naturally, you know, to now like, Oh, now, now there's this scene called power violence and these bands fall under that category. But Uh actually, you know, it just goes back to basically, you know, really fast, aggressive, hardcore punk from the early eighties, you know, and that's what influenced us and, you know, continues to do so. And then
1: as is it just only natural that the songs are going to be short because you're giving it all you can and you can't keep (laughs) this up for that long? We
3: don't want, we don't want to get bored. (laughs) (laughs) Why play it four times when you could play it two times or once. Uh Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, And also it was all about sides of records too. So like, if you think about like, you know, a song, hip hop or pop or whatever, you know, it's a song, it's a self-contained song. But like when you think of a record, like a hardcore record, you think of like a side of an EP or something. So you're thinking about, the spacing between the songs, samples, if there's samples or whatever, or just connecting everything. So, you know, it was as much about composing individual songs, but also putting them together in such a way that the minute you put the needle down, it's just like you're just being hit over the head with a hammer until, you know, the side ends. And the end. so you're thinking about the whole kind of editing, you know, together of the songs as well.
3: Cause it's definitely like a seven inch medium, yeah. you know, right. like it's, it's, it, 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 it just works best in that format. So what do you got? Eight minutes? Like four minutes aside? No. So, you know, how can you get the biggest bang for your buck? Well, you know, you put twelve songs on that motherfucker. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know?
2: back, back, back to back <laughs> no spaces. Yeah.
3: But to go back to like kind of the beginning and, you know, after we initially met and stuff, um, it was just me and Max in my parents' garage trying to figure this out, really. You know? Um and so the initial like material, the, the first as material was mostly written by, you know, I wrote most of the riffs and um, me and Max arranged and Max, I think, wrote a couple riffs, but it was very much just like me and Max um, at that point.
1: So it's all instrumental at that point?
3: Well, we didn't know what we were going to do as uh-huh. far as vocals. We had asked somebody who said they were going to sing and then they had a kid. Oh. In high school, okay. So he was like, "I can't do this." Right. Uh, then we tried to convince the bass player from Nine Seven Six and uh, Plutocracy, Dan Hogan, to sing because his vocals were just so brutal, big boy. And we uh-huh. were like, "Man, we really want you to sing for our project because at the time it was a project, okay. you know, like we were just kind of let's record this, you know, demo is what we we're how we we're looking at it, and um, and then we'll figure it out, you know, from there." We never, we never thought that it was gonna turn into what it did. I mean, there was no aspirations for that at
2: all. And again, get, getting back to the importance of zines at the time, there was an interview with Atmosphere Zine that was out of uh, Newark, Fremont area, Dennis Collin did it, uh, where I mentioned that Dan and I had this project and that and Chris Dodge, who was up in San Francisco, read that interview and said, yo, if you want a basis." I'd like to join, you know, because I want to do a project like this. And, and we were like honored like that. Chris Dodge, you know, wanted to join. And so, and then that was, that was how it was completed. But again, it's, it's this kind of communication through zines and trading and.
1: Right. You know, House. You know. Okay. Um, and plutocracy was still going at the same time.
2: Plutocracy was just concluding. There was just a little bit of overlap when Dan and I were writing songs in his parents' garage. I think I think Pluto was still playing, but but we we had decided to to call it. Uh, so yeah, there was just a little bit of overlap. I think it was ninety two.
3: Ninety two. Because I, mm-hmm. I remember going to some plutocracy practices, and when everybody would take a break to like go out and smoke and stuff, you know, Max would sit, stay at the drums, and I'd be like, "Cool, if I use this amp real quick, you know," and we'd. <laughs> we'd start you know uh-huh. working on our stuff which probably didn't make those guys feel too good at the time but yeah you know it was just like me and max were just so pumped on this new idea we were like really really driven yeah you know to to, to make this music
1: um were you going to punk shows or was it more even harder that was punk kind of soft compared to what you guys were doing
2: well i mean it just depends on the genre within that but you know you could I mean, the, the the first DRI, you know, the Dirty Rotten EP, 22 songs. I mean, it basically all starts and ends there. I mean, okay. you can think of like Grindcore and you can think of Power Violence and you can think of whatever and it kind of, it's really that EP, you know. So there was older influences like DRI, Siege, HHH, uh, Protest Bank to what whatnot. But at the time, it was also um, bands that were just forming or had been playing for a couple of years that were, really playing fast which was again it was really shunned by the scene at the time so bands like capitalist casualties and crossed out infest uh the projects like neanderthal that, w- that were down south and so that was really influential uh for us um but you know it, but also
3: but, like most of those records were being put out by chris dodge's label slap a hand yeah. So he oh. was like feeding us the inspiration before he was in the band. So
1: Chris Dodge is well known by you before you, I mean, maybe you oh, don't yeah. know him
3: as a friend, but you know who
1: he is.
2: Oh yeah. Oh
3: yeah, definitely.
1: Okay. Yeah, he
2: was, he was the only person who was putting out that stuff, you know, at the time. And, uh, and it was a small scene, but you know, when Slapaham put out an ad in MR with some upcoming EP, you know, there was probably, you know, 500, 600 people distributed throughout the world you know who would just be like oh shit like i'm ordering that right now you know and dan dan and i and a few other people on the peninsula were also you know those kinds of people where it wasn't like a huge scene mm. but it was super dedicated because it was really rare for somebody at that time to be putting out that kind of music
3: especially right. in the usa yeah especially england in the was a little they were already kind of doing it with like earache records you know on a bigger scale but that sound of just really abrasive, fast, loud, heavy stuff. That was that, you know, that was really going on over there more than here. Okay.
1: Um, and so then when Chris comes down, there's not really a tryout. You're just like, dude, you're in, or like, how's it work?
3: (laughs) (laughs) How did it work, Dan? I I I think what happened is, um, I'm trying to remember if me and you already had a recording date. I feel like we did. I feel like we already had a date booked and we were kind of working towards finalizing our set of songs. And um, when Chris hit us up, it was prior to that. And I think Max gave him a a tape of one of our rehearsals, you know, and was like, well, this is what we're doing, you know, and it was pretty, pretty basic, you know, I mean, I, at the time I was, I'd never played in a band with somebody who could play drums like Max. You know, I was in just like straight up four chord, punk rock, you know, mid tempo stuff. Yeah. So I was trying to move, like get better at playing faster. And so, you know, that first recording we did is really simple, Uh you know? Um, And I think Chris just learned it by listening to it at home. Cause when we hooked up to play for the first time, it was like, Oh wow. You know, it's like, this would sound like most bands 10th rehearsal,
2: you know? Yeah. I remember, I remember, yeah. When Chris started playing, like, I just kept on thinking like, man, this is going to be too rudimentary for him. You know, it's like, so, <laughs> it's so simple, you know, yeah, because totally. he, had, he had been in bands like sticky and like other bands and, you know, he he was a little older than us too. So he was like an older generation that we looked up to and stuff. And then once he joined, it was so clear. Like he was just like, yeah, I learned these songs and just like played them more like, okay you know what you're doing you know and and he had a lot of influence like the, the as the sound evolved it was kind of apparent
3: like early on that our chemistry was really good yeah like we we were laughing through like all the practices you know that's why all the song titles and stuff are so silly because i mean we we just had so much fun right you know making this music and just, you know, everybody wrote riffs, like Max wrote a lot of riffs. And I mean, there was often times where we'd all switch instruments and we'd try to write songs, you know, like Chris on drums and Max on guitar and me on bass. And, you know, we did kooky stuff like that.
1: Switch yeah. it up. Yeah. Did, and so and Chris was doing the vocals as well?
3: Yeah. So in the studio, we all did vocals. Oh, okay. So yeah, on it- the records, we're all singing
2: yeah one of the one of the secrets about the band i get this i get asked this sometimes uh we wrote the lyrics the night before literally so what we would do we go into the studio and lay down the music and then you know the next day we'd all come in and we had divvied up who wrote the lyrics for what and and how it was going to be separated out and we literally just taped it to the wall with all of us with three microphones you know like basically reading the lyrics off the wall and you know somebody would be like okay this is your part that's your part okay we're going to alternate on the chorus but like we didn't we didn't you know sit we down never practiced and practice it <laughs> no yeah, we never practiced it yeah. <laughs> yeah and it actually came out okay i mean it came out like on the fly like it actually sounds like pretty chaotic and and uh and and good upon listening but yeah the secret is we just we wrote them really the night before you know
1: well, freestyle.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> huh. So what was the first What was the first recording? The 7-inch on um, Slap-A-Ham, which was going to be a demo, actually. Uh, what Dan was saying, how we had a recording at House of Faith. Uh, and uh, and Chris liked the, the recording enough where he was like, hey, I'm just going to put this out on Slap-A-Ham. And I think both Dan and I are like, are you serious? Atlanta? Like, yeah. We're like, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, that... Once, once it goes out into the public, that's like when you actually start getting kind of nervous. Like you're like, Oh shit. Like people are going to like hear this, you know, listen to it, <laughs> right. you know, but Chris was pumped and we're like, okay, you know, it, you know, do it. And, and yeah, he put out the first seven inch, which basically should have been our demo, but yeah, it uh, became a seven inch. Yeah.
3: How ma- do you know how many of those got maybe like 2000? There was two pressings. Back then you'd press a thousand seven inches. That was kind of the, you know, the norm.
1: And do you, do you get some feedback or does it take a while? Uh, are you doing more recordings? Like are you initially, are people tripping or is it take a minute?
3: You know, I don't, I don't really remember. Um, you know, uh, we definitely, I do know that we definitely started working on writing stuff all together because it was kind of like Chris joined, we were like, "Wow, this is a good fit." But this is stuff me and Max wrote together. Like, let's write some stuff all three of us, you know, because it's going to be way better.
5: Okay.
2: Yeah, and I and and I think if you if you listen to the recordings in sequence, that like it took us a couple years to like really kind of find our gel together and find our sound. But you know, those first couple recordings were kind of experiments as far as like what works what sounds good you know what are we good at what are we not good at what didn't work and stuff and uh, you know unfortunately i think this goes with most bands we put out all that stuff so even as we were trying (laughs) to figure out what we were doing you know some of the earlier records you know don't sound as good i think as as you know the the later records but um you know but that's bands you're just trying to figure out you know what works and what what you're specifically doing even you know sure.
3: we we definitely documented everything you know how like throbbing gristle like put out they recorded and put out every show you know it's like we kind of recorded and put out every song we wrote yeah you know basically right um and and the second and third recordings i think we were still kind of coming to the table with whole songs that one of us had written. Mm. After that, there was like a lot more collaboration on almost every song. It was probably rare for somebody to write an entire song, you know, by the time we got to, you know, the second album.
1: Right. The samples, like B movies and Kung Fu, all that stuff. Were you guys into hip hop? Oh, yeah. Did that kind of like, how did that mentality?
3: I mean, Plutocracy did it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: Plutocracy was doing it.
2: Oh, yeah. They bring, bring, bring it on. I am, I am, bring it off. One They
0: it you told me in solitary confinement for nothing. What do you think's gonna happen when I get out of here? Big Titan, a bully wound to the tip. Where is the night? Big Titan, a bully wound to the tip. The big,
5: ah, Big Titan,
0: a bully wound to the tip.
2: loose loose loose
0: loose
5: autocracy
2: loose loose And and those those guys like influenced me and turned me on to like a lot of like Bay Area what would now be called gangster rap I guess you know but like that was all underground and like once you know once you start seeing and like recognizing you know that this is what we're doing we're we're putting out our own records doing our own shows and that's what these dudes are doing too you know they're they're basically trying to kind of that you know,
1: community of passing your tape along
2: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you know, and and some of it was political. I mean, you know, again, this is like Rodney King riots, you know what I mean? And so like, there was, it's, I mean, you know, it seems so silly to think now we're like in the middle of it again, you know, but like, it was just the, uh, you know, the politics were kind of the same, you know, we were constantly- Paris was really big.
1: Paris was so sick. I was just, right when the um, George Floyd thing happened, I threw Paris in on loop and it's still so sick.
0: This is a warning. Another cut to move on. Another beat to so strong hold on and I get wicked and then some stir up shit as the wit gets wisdom. People coming up, I'm straight low. Pro black and it ain't no joke. Coming straight from the mob that broke shit last time. Now I'm back with a brand new sick rhyme. So black time and tempo. Revolution ain't never been simple. Following the past. Just build your brain and will soon make progress. Page your dues, don't snooze or lose. They came with the master plan and got you. So know who's opposed to the dominant dark skin. Food for thought is a law for the brother, man. Yeah.
3: He's coming out with like, a new ju- ju- album, ju- ju- man. The fucking
1: energy, like...
3: I mean, in the J card of, like, the first tape, it's like a history lesson, yeah, man. Right,
2: yeah yeah and him you know he was educated you know through i think it was uc davis i think oh wow Uh, if if, yeah i can't remember but you know he knew his shit and like you know if you listen to it takes a nation of millions to hold us back you know, i mean that also like you know chuck d you know clearly uh you know laid out a lot of history and like you know what was going on
0: the prophet and i think you ought to listen to
2: what he can say to you what you ought to do is follow
0: for now People we'll say, make a miracle, keep yeah. up the lyrical, black is back, all in, we're gonna win. Check it out. Yeah, yeah, come on. Here we go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs>
3: so, you know, you got like plutocracies, you know, before, you know, before I'm in the band with Max, I'm you know, I, I'm listening to this unreleased plutocracy album, and you know, they're sampling Malcolm X and you know, MC Pooh, and it's just like holy shit, you know, like stinkweed rest in peace rest in peace the way that his brain can connect everything that he liked you know and 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 then he would kind of take ownership of that sound you mm-hmm. know and that was a really inspiring uh, energy to, to me and yeah. and I think with Spaz you know we just kind of carried it on okay you know, as okay. far as the sampling and and just taking things out of context and creating the new <laughs> crazy Spaz stew of you know, whatever. Yeah, so. and
2: and the and the Hong Kong stuff too was you know Dan and I were going down to uh, independent theater down in San Jose every Tuesday night for you know Hong Kong, you know these reels would travel. They'd stop in San Jose by Thursday. They were up in Berkeley. I, I don't think they went through San Francisco, but basically it was just all the early john woo Choi hark you know th- these kinds of films and the only way that you could see them there was no vhs tapes or anything like that was like if you went to these theaters mm-hmm. and so so we would go down there um and check them out and uh and i was recording uh was it kung fu theater on channel 26 theater
3: yeah yeah you <laughs> know
2: so i would i'd record i'd set my vcr to record you know kung fu theater at like 1 a.m or whatever and like we just pull samples off that, you know. And it was also at the time, you know, that Wu, Wu-Tang dropped, you know. So then all of a sudden there's this, like, language, right, yeah, of, like, thing. Hong yeah. Kong references and stuff, you know.
1: Hey, what you say is true. The Shaolin and the Wu-Tang could be dangerous. Hey, um, this thing, for some reason, I guess when I do multiple people, it times out. About okay. forty-five minutes. Uh, let me turn this off and then just invite you guys right back. Okay. 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 Thanks.
0: And now another first impression with Timothy Donald McKenney.
4: First impression of Spaz. That's pretty much when I say Spaz. It's more like Dan, Lactose, and Max. And I think I probably met the guys due to my best friend starting to date Max. And uh, shout out Grace Barrows. I love you more than all the girls in the world. I love you. You're up on the top with them. Uh, Because of her, she started dating Max. And because of that, I got to go and skate with them at their underground spot. I don't know if it was uh, Menlo Park. Or I think it might have been Mountain View. But it was one of the malls down there, one of those strip malls, and it was the underground parking lots. And they had a, a wax red curb. And we'd go skate it every once in a while, and it was just a mellow, cool, super cool sesh every time. It was just super fun, maybe up to ten times. But I remember meeting up with Dan. He had a, he had his parents' house. He was at his parents' house. They had a nice big house uh, next to the Safeway, I think, across the street or something. And then Max lived in the condos or some cottages uh, down closer to the Elko. But we'd meet up with him thanks to Grace, and we'd go and have sessions. Shout out Barrows, I love you for life. Thanks.
3: Yo, Max, I was uh, we were talking for a few minutes before he came in, and I was like uh, talking about Woodside Plaza, Rainbow Records, curb, and how it's kind of like where we first like linked up and we yeah, were skating yeah. and. Yeah. Dude, he worked at the fucking round table.
2: Oh, really? Right in the corner there?
3: Yeah. At the same time. Oh, at the same time? Around the time.
1: It's like,
2: what the hell? Yeah,
1: that's crazy. (laughs) So we're back. Um, Yeah, it's crazy uh, that this thing is super wonky i, I think i paid like money too, to to oh, have it time out and it's still so i got to look into that after this fucking thing anyway i don't know how long this this is after that but obviously the cool Keith reference um, <laughs> has to be massive
2: yeah i mean that's 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 all neil nordstrom we had a friend who lived with the automator and uh ultra magnetic mc's fans And, uh, and here our friend Neil was like, yo man, cool. Keith is like recording this project with my roommate. And we were just like, what, you know, like, I mean, that was like mind blowing, you know, and Dan was lucky enough where he had time to be able to get up there and go meet him. I think you got some, I I think I gave you my UMC poster to sign. He signed it, right? I think. I think so. I
3: brought some stuff to sign. Yeah. Um, Where,
2: Where is this at?
3: So, it was actually at Automator's parents' house. This is before he lived with with Neil. But the Automator, Dan the Automator, and and Neil Nordstrom, like, have been friends since kindergarten or something.
1: And where do they live? San Francisco. Oh.
3: Yeah, so um, Neil is... not in a band he's just a real huge fan of like extreme music so he's got an insane record collection he wrote for maximum rock and roll mm. um just went to tons of shows and um i mean just an insane resource you know as far as you know that that kind of uh, extreme music so He's mentioned a lot
2: in Spaz's <laughs> lyrics. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like the fourth the fourth member of Spaz, for sure.
1: Play the Ed. drinking game where every time you hear his name, you got to take a shot. There
2: basically, you go. Basically, yeah.
3: But yeah, so he, he, I guess, called Max one night and was like, hey, you know, um, Dan says it's cool for you guys to come through and meet Keith tonight. And uh, I guess Max was busy. And Max called me and I was like, holy shit so I just hopped in my car and, and drove up to San Francisco and met him
1: no yeah. way <laughs> that's cool
3: and then I you know that's they were, were recording a song they took a break Um, you know I'm sitting on the automator's bed you know like just kind of listening to them track their song up and he kind of had like a, a attic in the like above the closet of his room and the closet was the vocal booth and, and the attic part was like you know where Dan was sitting with his you know pro tools rig so right. you know I, I listened to that for a while and then they took a break and keith comes out and neil kind of introduces me to him and he's like oh yeah you know you like porn <laughs> and i'm like yeah you know uh, it pulls out this duffel bag man like <laughs> this big and he just unzips it and it's just packed with vhs no and he way. just starts handing me VHS. He's like, have you seen this one? You know, <laughs> into This guy? Like, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa. Man. <laughs> wow. Cool <Wow>. case stories. <laughs> and so, you know, we just kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. I think, yeah, I got him to sign some stuff and, um, you know, just kind of totally awkward moment where it's like, I don't know what to say to this guy, you know? Yeah, And uh, He's a And I think Neil's like, yeah, and Neil's like, you know, oh, Dan's in this band, you know, called uh, Staz. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, do you guys sound like Gorefest? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, are you guys like heavy, like autopsy? And I was like, well, we're not really death metal. We're like really fast. And I was like, actually, I have our new recording in my pocket. Like I could play some of it for you. So Automator throws it in the tape deck and plays it. And Keith's like, I like this. I like this. Can you come in and make this guitar sound on this record we're working on right now? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, wh- wh- when do you need me to do that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> no way. And, uh, you know, we talked and I got Automator's number. And um, I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy, you know. And I was like, hey, you know, man, Keith, it'd be awesome if you could do a, a drop, you know, for-, for this album we're working on. And uh, we rewound that tape and uh, automator hit record and keith did his drop and it's funny if you listen close to that part on because we have him on our record so i recorded the drop and it, if you listen to the Spaz record with the keith drop if you listen really close to when he starts talking like you know if the tape ha- hadn't started running yet he's already like talking and it kind of cuts in because <laughs> uh. i think automator was like get out of here man like you know you're <laughs> you show up with a tape you're like now you're gonna be on this album or something you know? yeah. yeah
0: this is my group check it out they gonna get busy one time check out yeah. this group right now spaz this is cool Keith automator five biz, drop message
3: And that came out before he, the record where he mentions us. Yeah, well, we heard uh, about that. But was we were that like, Doctor Octagon? Yeah. yeah. The songs mm. I'm
1: Destructive. Yeah. Mm. It's so funny. Def Leppard and Spaz.
3: Yeah. Def Leppard, Autopsy, then,
2: and Spaz. Yeah.
3: So we got a call a couple of days later. I think Neil called Max and said, hey, you know, Keith mentions you in, in a song. It's like, what? Really? Not nah, leave you, you know? And then we heard the rack.
0: <laughs> like a green, red, blue reindeer, dead, lying down with a fawn, copulating, having sex, mating with a baboon with buffalo wings. Like Hitler, the German shepherd, coming down with the brown spotty moose just sound as soft as a goose. We all here with tickets for Van Halen, Warfest, Autopsy, Def Leppard, and Spaz. Come on, drop the jazz, Grateful Dead. Rock with it.
3: Destructive.
1: Wait, is your guitar in it?
3: No, that never came through, man. Uh, I was uh, gonna somebody, say, somebody else I never plays heard guitar that on that record. Um, but yeah, I tried, I called a lot, Yeah, <laughs> but it, it never, it never happened.
1: Oh man. So is that like, what period of your guys being a band is that, is that beginning, middle end or
3: kind of the middle, middle,
2: like 95, oh. 96, maybe. Right. So that's a huge highlight.
3: Yeah. Cause, uh, the, the Keith drop on the spaz record is on our second album.
1: Okay. What's that one called?
3: La Revancha
1: La Ravancha, and then the other uh, you know thing that really struck me is I'm looking through the uh, compilation appearances and I see the old title Billy Pepper's fist in the glass eye of Jake Phelps
2: <laughs> yeah that, that, song mean, ins- that song was inspired by me sitting at one of those City Hall SF contests and every time Billy Pepper got out on the, you know, out on the course, Phelps was just like, fuck you, baby. Pepp- yeah, just like, just trying to f- get in his head. Yeah. And I was sitting behind him and I was like, oh shit, there's some like serious bad blood going on here or something. I don't know what's going on. So then I just came home and it was one of those things, you, you're writing lyrics the night before. And I was right. like... Oh, you know, drawing inspiration from, you know, what's happened recently. And I, it, that was fresh in my brain, just, like, thinking, like, holy shit, Phelps is, like, really going after Billy Pepper.
1: No way. <laughs> so, yeah. so you went to those con- the contest in the in the fountain?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Back to the city.
2: Yeah, back to the city.
1: Wow, man, that's insane. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like, I think, Max, I, I went maybe – did you live f- for a minute up off – Uh, Alameda, like up high, kind of above where the spillway was like 44th or something like that? In San Mateo?
5: Mm, Like Abbott
1: school area? Yeah, no, no. I felt like I went to your house one night with like Chad Blakeney or somebody like, I remember, it might have been a different Max, but I thought it was you. But you're friends with uh, McGinley, right? He's a good friend of mine.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so... So you, so you were Team Yahtzee, right? Well,
1: I was in a band with Marty, and I lived with Marty and Kai, who started Team Yahtzee. But I wasn't in Team. We actually did a parody, which was Team Taco. Oh, Team Taco! Because you you know we we, we, were Redwood City, San Carlos. Those guys were Palo Alto, but we all skated together.
2: But you weren't RCBS. That
1: kind of, but not really. Fletch okay. was, that was Fletch, my friend Fletch, yeah, yeah, but, uh, I was born in Rowan city, but then I, I lived in San Carlos. So it was kind of one of those things. It's kind of like now I moved to San Francisco, but I can't claim it. Cause I'm not originally from here. I sure. don't know. It was always like that for me. I didn't really care, but, uh, no, RCBS was those guys. Deal it was kind of Craig and uh, dis- discontent. Yep, those guys. <clears throat> but I would roadie for those guys. So I saw. Like, did you guys ever? You guys must have went to the Varsity, right, to see shows?
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's when I got into. That was a little.
3: That was before my time.
1: Okay, I got into punk in, <clears throat> I think eighty five, and my first show was at the Varsity. And then I was at the I think I think it was the last show ever at the varsity where the dude did a stage dive and broke his head open. I think it was uh suicidal tendencies, uh ill repute and maybe aggression or something. I forget who it was, but that was like so eye-opening for us. Like I'm a suburban kid, right? So that is like a huge deal. And then me and those guys, the RCBS guys, they started to ban Discontent. They started playing Covered Wagon and whatnot. And then next thing you know, we're at the Mabuhay Gardens. We're in some club and I forget what it was called, but it's like Mountain View or Santa Clara down there. They had a club where like Seven Seconds would play. And all these bands would come in and they would open for them. So we were seeing like Bad Brains, RKL, all these, you know, huge bands for us. And I'm like, do my friend's bands play with him. This is crazy. So I'm sure it was a similar thing, but you guys were kind of in a, a different world a little bit. What,
3: Where where would you guys play? Played Gilman Street a lot.
1: Gilman. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. I mean, I can't really think. There wasn't very many, because Spaz only played all ages shows. Right. So we never played Intentionally? any
5: bars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so I mean, I'm trying to think of other Bay Area. I mean, we played Cactus Club in San Jose.
1: I think that's what it was, Cactus Club, maybe because they I, would have I can't some. Can't remember the name. I don't
3: know if those were all ages. Those might have been like you know, 15 and up or something. I, I think it, I think
2: that it, one was 18 and over. That one that followed the Fiesta okay. Grande were like slight slappers from Japan okay. played and stuff. Yeah. Huh. Yeah.
3: But, Yeah. I mean, there was really no, I mean, and honestly, I mean, it was even hard for us to get shows at Gilman street because we just didn't fit in with, with any of the local happenings, you know, and a friend of ours who actually moved uh, to the Bay from Alabama named Ken Sanderson, who does a label called prank records. uh, He started booking at Gilman and he started booking bands that were coming through, you know, when they'd be on tour, like a band that was, really heavy or fast or something in bands so it was always capitalist casualties and spaz because okay. there was no one else huh yeah. um and so that we ended up getting to play on some killer bills i mean first spaz show that we ever played was with chaos uk
2: yeah and the second was <laughs> the, the second was rorschach you know i mean it was just like yeah. crazy yeah yeah, yeah, that's so, see that's how it
1: was back then though. Like now, like it's everything's so much more big. But I was talking to Brian Brandon from JFA, and he's like, Yeah, our first show is with Black Flag. I'm just yeah. like, first show,
3: black flag. Like, <laughs> where do you
0: go?
1: <laughs> yeah. Totally,
3: totally. Dude, well, hey, Black Flag's coming through town and they need opening bands, man. So start a band. That's you know what he was mean? saying. And he's in
1: he's in Phoenix. So like you know whatever, um, but it's still you're just like on paper that's like a grand slam man like damn yeah. uh what was was there any like crazy incidents with that much aggression and like that you know- did, what were the crowds like was there a lot was there violence or were there just gnarly pits like what what was the scene
2: like I you know compared to before before we started the recording, you know, we had been talking about the farm and stuff. And, you know, Mm I, when I would go up to the farm and you'd have to walk through the park, you know, where the skins were and stuff, the skinheads and, you know, and they just fucking be fucking with people. And I was too young to be fucked with, but I watched the people in front of me who just got off the bus, you know, get fucked with. And I remember a lot of just crazy stuff at that shows. And so by the time that we came about and we were playing, like things had mellowed out like quite a bit. And so even though, you know, with this category of power violence and even though the music was like really extreme, like, you know, the worst thing that happened was like somebody stage dived at a club that you weren't supposed to stage dive at or something like that. But you know, oh. it was not, it was nothing like, Oh, some dude just got stabbed in the bathroom kind of stuff, which happened, you know, on a weekly basis at some of the shows that I would go to in the eighties. So, right. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Uh, you know, it just depended on the neighborhood. Um, that you were playing uh yeah did you frequent the farm a lot
1: yeah 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 what what are some shows that stick out to you that you remember as like some highlights
2: uh well so i saw uh coc and the bad brains um you know i at that time i was really into the local bands and so i was really into like day on the farms or day at the farm or whatever they were right yeah, yeah. You know, and so you'd see like attitude adjustment and corrupted morals and slambodians and like things like that. And those were the kinds of bands that I was into, but you know, I saw like, uh, saw youth of today actually the first time that they toured and, Mm -hmm. you know, which was crazy. Uh, uh, saw, um, seven seconds like right before new wind came out. I saw DRI right before crossover came out. And that was like, that was the show that I was so excited for. And they started opening with some crossover songs, you know? And I was just no. like, you know, my little like 12 year old brain was trying to like compute, like, wait, they're not as fast yeah. as they, they were on the record, you know. But it was those shows and also varsity shows too. You know, so my sister used to take me to varsity shows. And so, you know, if anything, the influence was, kind of like from Menlo Park South and so you know huh. like Team Yahtzee would set up those like skate jams behind Seven Eleven. 11 Yeah on Lighten, you know? every Sunday Yeah every Sunday so that was a huge influence for me shows at the Varsity but like Team Rasta and Mountain View and you know just the the punks and the skaters from that area Dude, you know, there were like, so
1: many teams back then <laughs> for for skateboarding this like anti-team you know it's like why are we
2: making teams yeah yeah exactly yeah we're not a sport but damn it we're gonna yeah, form a team, teams. team <laughs> <Yeah. taco. laughs> yeah.
1: i think it was a, a tongue-in-cheek thing but I for, those jams behind 7-Eleven were Dude, huge was, for me too. Yeah. And I was talking to someone recently too, and you guys probably can uh, relate to this. As a young kid without an iPhone or any of this digital world that we did not have back then, how the fuck I got from San Carlos to Montague Banks in San Jose with three <laughs> different bus transfers, I don't really know. <laughs> like no. It was like word of mouth. Like, you know, you yeah. met a bro in Palo Alto. And he's like, "Take the seven B to this exit, get off, and then get on this bus." And you're just like going with it. Like, I think this is right, but they could have took you to Tijuana, and you would have <laughs> been like, "Ah, oh, they said the <laughs> banks wrong, <you> know. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So it was crazy though. Like Montague was so far from uh, us, uh, Fish Banks, like all those fish iconic banks, yeah. spots that were down there that we didn't have a car and no one to drive us. So we had to rely on the bus. And I don't know, man, the transfers and all that stuff. I I know people in New York are going, welcome to our world or whatever. That's like, <laughs> dude, it was like, you know, fuck. Um, yeah, and you mentioned like seeing people on the bus, like you said, you'd run into the guy from Ribsy or something yeah. like, holy shit. Like, you yeah, know, that's the, how these I were uh, kind of like, uh larger than life personalities in our world that no one else would know who's ribsy. It's like, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I met
3: Phil Xiao.
1: No on the bus? On the bus. Yeah. I was already
3: on the bus with my skateboard, hanging with my buddy Jake. And Phil got on and walked right up to us and was like, Hey, what's up, guys? My name's Phil. You know? Like it was just back then you'd see somebody with a skateboard and you know, you'd look, be like, all right, this guy really skates. And it's like this is my homie.
1: Right. Yeah. Same, same for me. I, uh, I think we were coming, we we're either going to the farm or coming back from the farm. So it goes all the way up um, El Camino to one area and then gets on the freeway. And we picked up these guys from San Mateo that had skateboards in their hand. And it later was, I found out this was Joe Raposo who oh, played oh bass at RKL. Like yeah. he was my good friend uh, and Mike Alcantar. And, we had never skated a pool yet at this time. And they're like, hey, you guys want to go skate a pool? And we're like, huh? A pool? What do you mean? <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, but huh? And they're like, oh, Cappuccino <laughs> High School is drained. Like, we're, we're going there tomorrow. Meet us at, at one. So we skated this high school uh, drain pool. for the, That was the first pool I ever skated with Alcantara and Raposo and like maybe one other guy from San Mateo. And then we just hit it off and became super good friends. Like, I ended up working at Go Skate on 41st with those dudes. And, yeah, it was, like, a huge, like, that time created who I am. Absolutely. Like, the punk music, the skating, and the peninsula, like, and of eventually finding San Francisco and San Jose. But we were doing a lot of shit in the 650, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, the the – the covered wagon, I mean, dude, when I think it was verbal abuse was playing, the the Chinese lady that ran the place was hitting people with her flashlight, like,
0: no, slap dancing. Yeah. It was
1: amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if somebody has any video footage of any of that, please email it to me because I'm so down. I think uh, somebody was telling me they saw, like, uh, Dave Cotter or somebody had a recording of it, and he's like, I think you're in the front, like – and I was like, dude, send that to me. I want to see that stuff.
2: Yeah, I remember some of the shows there. They they forced you to sit on the benches and you couldn't stand up. Right. Do you remember that? And so, like, <laughs> yeah. you'd be sitting there. What, it was so weird. It was so yeah. surreal, you know, but they were, <laughs> like, try, and they had their security standing on both sides. And so you're sitting on these, like, benches watching, like, a super aggressive hardcore punk band going off in front of you, and you and you were forced to sit, you know. It was so weird, man.
1: Totally so what happened at the end like why did the band stop
3: well chris ended up moving that was kind of one of the main reasons but we had actually kind of it kind of petered out before we stopped where we just uh we were each doing other things you know max had some other bands um and chris had other bands and i was i had actually gotten really into uh making beats Mm. I really wanted to do hip hop production, you know, which I've been doing for a while. um, But that was kind of when I was really trying to get into it. Um, So like my, my listening taste had kind of changed, you know, where I wasn't really following the hardcore stuff as as much, except for my friends that were still doing it, you know, but I didn't really, really, you know, it was kind of like after we did our tour in 97, I think we, we kind of burnt out. We did like a, a seven week tour. And, um, I mean, we played almost every day wow. and, you know, I mean that this, that, this style, you know, and doing it, you know, in a very DIY fashion, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, for sure. it, it, it'll wear, <laughs> it'll wear you down. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we got back from the tour and I think we just kind of wanted to take a break from playing the music and probably from each other too, you know, totally. <laughs> and, uh, um, I think what really kind of got us back was we got asked to go, a uh, tour in Japan yeah. in 98. Oh. And I think between maybe between the tour and, and that we had gotten together, you know, to like maybe handle some band business. And we went to our, cause we had a rehearsal space, you know, where all of our gear was mm-hmm. and, uh, started playing and, and I know we were writing some stuff. We had started writing some new stuff and then it just kind of, I think, you know, everybody was so busy. Max was going to school, playing in bands. I was going to school, working full time. And, um, mm. you know, Chris was really busy with the job and multiple bands. And I think it just kind of, you know, well, what are we going to do now? You know, with staz, yeah. you know, and then we got asked to go to Japan. And so we had to start rehearsing again you know, to get ready for that, and then that experience was just totally unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that was Japan's so inspiring. Past. It 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 rejuvenated us. When we came home, we were like, "Let's write a record." You know, let's, yeah. and that ended up being the last album.
1: Or let's move to Japan.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what this guy did. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, really? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i you know i mean that was so crazy you know going on that tour like i mean we played with bands like Gaze and like just like all the bands that we had loved for so long and that influenced us like every night you know they they were they were playing with us and it was just we were in such awe you know like i mean it was just like um
3: venues that we'd heard about for you know since before max even met you know we had tape dating flat you know gotten flyers of these venues that were still there you know that we that we played it's like what so the fuck? cool yeah. <laughs>
1: wow man i yeah. was going to ask you where the coolest place the band took you i'm i'm guessing is it japan
3: i would say so yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: fuck
3: yeah yeah that was great and you
2: know the friends that we made through those tours and then bringing bands from japan to the west coast that we supported those are like my lifelong friends. So not only the friends that, you know, like Dan and Chris, uh, but also the the plutocracy dudes and all the people from our local scene, but then these international tape traders and pen pals that, I mean, they, to this day, I still see them when I travel to Japan, I consider them like my closest friends. And, you know, I I just think about like how much that has influenced my life and, um, you know, made me who I am today, you know, and I'm so thankful to have that opportunity.
1: Fuck yeah it's so it's so much like skateboarding I mean you go you have travelers come to your hometown and you take good care of them because you know they're going to take good care of you when you're in their town yeah. you know and it's it's such a community that you build and uh you know we were talking about it not to get too dark or whatever but like with everything that's going on right now like I feel like skateboarding and music, especially DIY style music, is, I'm not going to say there's no racism in it, but it's just such a, a melting pot of all types of people that I just feel like we never really thought about like, oh, that guy's Mexican or he's black or he's Asian. He was a skateboarder and he was trying to learn how to do a kickflip with us, you know, and we're on the same mission. We're going to go see fucking RKL in Santa Barbara, but we don't know how we're going to get there, like whatever it was. And uh, I just wish the world could be a little bit more like that. You know, it seems like. Hopefully these protests are going to help something, but I don't know. Do you guys you, you you're in Vermont, Max, right? Is it yeah? It's it's wild out there, or what?
2: Well, I mean, not as not as off the hook as other places, but um, you know, it's it's a good. So I'm in Burlington, which is a college town. Okay. And you know, it's a town of like you know. M- Bookchin had his anarchist commune you know in Vermont this is you know Bernie Sanders was the mayor in the 80s so there's a good socialist uh libertarian in the the good sense kind of uh you know uh streak here and so um you know it's it, it, it it's an interesting place and even for a small town it's got you know uh good politics and uh, or at least enough good politics to keep things in check, you know, but there's, uh-huh. you know, but, you know, we still have problems with police violence and, you it's know.
1: saying insane that that stuff's still going on. Like you said, like, when the yeah. band was going, it was Rodney King. That's, yeah. what, 30? So long ago.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was so, actually,
3: oh, sorry.
1: No, go for it. Dive in talk- there, dog.
3: <laughs> I was talking, actually, with my wife last night you know, about how the, the community aspect of both skateboarding and music and how, you know, in spaz, it totally overlapped and went hand in hand. You know, it's like if we weren't jamming, we were skating. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right. No, and, for sure.
3: And that I always, you know, we're really lucky to have experienced that, especially like pre-internet social media and all this, you know, way that now it can be manipulated. I mean, we had this community where you could really kind of like be yourself you know and it was a it was like a sanctuary for for weirdos and you know people that 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 couldn't fit into society you know but you hop on the skateboard during the day hit some spots you know go home shower go to the show that night you know I mean it was just it, it just all went together and you know like you were saying how you know everything on the peninsula made you who you are I mean waiting at a skate jam in palo alto when i was like you know in elementary school to take a run and hit the ramp you know i mean that that taught me about my, you know how to be a better person you know and respect yeah. everything you know
1: And to be like, you know, to be more assertive, like you're not going to get some unless you get some and just like whatever it was. I remember older
3: dudes being like, come on, man, you just got to go. You just got to go, you know, because I, I, you know, I'm an only child. So I didn't have like an older sibling to kind of help me along with really anything. And, you know, I latched on a crazy hardcore punk, figured it out myself. Thrasher Magazine was a huge help, you know. For sure. And then, uh, you know, I, I latched on to skateboarding and it was just, you know, Man, Trasher Magazine was <laughs> yeah. was so huge for me, not really knowing anyone, you know? I was yeah. the guy who who got my friends into skating, you know? <laughs> I was that kid.
1: <laughs> right. Oh, man, dude, such good times. What? Anything that sticks out in, in the, you know, San Mateo County, basically, as like, I was thinking of like hot spots, like uh, Hanley's Rock was like kind of a little hidden spot where we would go party uh there was like that little under the bridge up in san mateo and the a catwalk there was oh, just oh yeah yeah there was spots where like when you you were trying to get like your party on you would go and you
2: would like do some pretty crazy shit like dude the catwalks that place was gnarly yeah. I, I was super scared the first time i went there i was like are you serious we're gonna walk out on this thing man." yeah
1: totally yeah, that that's right by, it. you know, that house that's like on the hill that looks kind of like the Flintstones. It's like cement round. No. It's kind of right by the Father Sarah st- statue pointing out. No. Yeah. It's like right there. Um, okay. I don't know. Did you, what were the skate shops? Did, was Go
3: Skate there or was it uh, All Skate? Or- yeah, it was Go Skate. I used to go to uh, Surf Check in San Carlos. Oh,
1: yeah. Fuck, I forgot about that. <laughs> and that there was
3: uh, one in Redwood City called Sea Level
2: yep. over yeah. there
3: by Mel's Bowl um, and then Palo Alto Sport Shop. Did that, which is, that was
2: my place. That's Palo where Alto. I went because my that's mom- That's where a writer would, worked.
3: No. Okay. My mom would you know, take me because I was so young and, and that was a lot more inviting atmosphere for her than a ghost skate. Yeah, but uh-huh. I like Ghostgate because I get in there and it was just oh, I was grimy. Right, Larry's oh, had- back
1: there burning <laughs> weed and fucking. <laughs> my mom's just like oh, full Rasta beats everywhere <laughs> and fucking Chad's like, let's go to Miley for an hour. We could sneak out like so. Those were the days. We had a little quarter pipe. I worked at Ghostgate from I don't know for a few years, probably like '90 90 to '95, four, four, I don't know somewhere around there, but uh, or maybe it was late '80s. I don't know. It all blends together.
2: Did, did, you, did you overlap with uh, Fedge? Oh, yeah. He's a yeah. homie. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. He worked there at the end of me starting, I think. He, yeah. Um, but I was there with, like, Oscar Polchowski, Mike Alcantar, Nick Bancroft, Chad, and Larry. That was our crew. And do you remember that guy Terrell. Trout. It was a black guy and he stuck a whole like 62 millimeter wheel in his mouth. I think yeah. there was a something else, a thrasher.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was our hobie, too. It was so crazy. He had like an unlock jaw or something like Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So, and like record stores. What record stores? We had a Rod's Records, St. Carlos Vinyl Solution, I think was yeah. the tale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Palo Alto. That was kind of like a little cooler. Palo Alto was like, you're kind of stepping it up going down there. They had a better. Final Solution was pretty good, though. They they had some, they had like punk sections and like sections that were like, well, you know, stuff that spoke to us.
3: The Tower yeah. Records were really big because they had imports. Right. They Mountain View like,
1: and San Mateo. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
3: So that's yep. where, you know, I got like, carcass and napalm death albums and you know bolt thrower you know like i was just kind of cutting my teeth on the earache stuff that i was picking up there you know prior to meeting max
1: right so would you say that a lot of the music that you were getting into was word of mouth like through dudes that you respected like oh this guy likes this so i'm gonna check it out or was it more the zines
3: (laughs) for me it was a lot of zines you know and also just this looks fucking nuts I'm gonna okay. buy
5: it, <laughs>
1: you know? right? Like I saw aggression. I didn't even know what it was, but it was skating on the cover. And at that yeah. time, nobody's putting skating on the cover. It's like these are one
3: of us. No brainer. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> used I used to take the bus down to uh, Tower Records, Mountain View, and go skate the bricks that were at the town center, the brick right. banks, and then um. Uh, Dude, that know,
3: curb you... that was down there. Yeah, the, cross, the Sears at the curb, old Miller, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. So and, sick. and the um you know the tower records not only would you go off the cover but you flip it over and how many songs were on the back probably meant that it was pretty fast right. so you know like whether it was speed metal or whether it was like fast hardcore like i would just be like oh man there's like 20 songs on this i bet it's going to be pretty good you know
1: okay oh, uh, yeah. so
2: so that was like a old buying tip you know for me like just being this like little grom being like oh i want to get some more thrash you know
1: okay
3: yeah, um, and then I meet Max, and his record collection's crazy. Oh, really? Do you still so, like, have I a was, huge
2: one? <laughs> I mean, got, it was crazy, man. Got rid of them. I got rid of them. You know, I saved every flyer. You know, I I, I used to peel after the shows were done. I used to peel flyers off the telephone poles, like all around oh, Palo Alto God, and man. Mountain View. So I had all the old varsity theater flyers. I, I, I saved every varsity or I saved every flyer that I ever got, you know, whether somebody was writing a letter on the back of it or, or whatnot. And um, and then in the early 2000s, once I d- decided to go into graduate school and move out to the East Coast, um, I couldn't, I had no place to put this stuff. And I, I finally had to make the decision. I was like, shit, man, I can't, I can't um, manage this anymore. Unfortunately, you know, it just got like too big, you know,
1: and what do you do? Do you sell them all at bulk or do you sell them? How did you get rid of them?
2: Well, you know, at that time was right when eBay had started and I didn't want to do eBay because I kind of, you know, for, for so long, it, being a record collector, there were dudes who, you know, you're waiting in line for a record store to open. And then some guy, when the record store opens, you're walking towards the new arrival use section and some guy jumps in front of you to go rummage through it. And what he's doing is he's reselling it for his store, you know, so he's rummaging through the DIY punk store. That's all volunteer run, like Epicenter to then sell in his store for profit. You know, and I got, I got so tired of those kinds of ethics that when I had my used record collection and I was trying to think of how to get rid of it, I didn't want to sell it on eBay because at that time I felt like eBay was, driving the prices up and was like unethical. I mean it's more nuanced and ambiguous now. But um at the time I was like so I was trying to sell it to people that I knew. So I would just be like, dude, come over. Bought a know? bunch. Yeah. And you know <laughs> and and still I couldn't even do it that way. So I had to do some bulk, you know, to like Amoeba, there was some eBay broker, you know, who had oh. helped me out. You know, there there was all this this stuff. But I mean it, it took it took years, man.
1: Is there a regret?
2: Oh sure, you know. because yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been
1: on the fence because it's as you say, like it's super hard to move around. Like I moved in with my fiance, and now we got a smaller space for two, and it's so those things. But you're like, dude, I'm. This is stuff that maybe if there is opportunity to get it again i might not be able to get it again yeah, yeah. like the like the punk records especially like i don't you know maybe discogs but like for a, way too much or whatever but yeah, yeah that's crazy fuck so was yeah, that I'll, how many was it about more <laughs> I mean, than 500
2: oh yeah Ooh. i mean we're, no we're talking like maybe ten ten thousand, 10000 maybe <laughs> oh, yo, yeah his I collection
3: mean, was like Really like a deep, whole room. Man. Yeah. I mean, your, I, he had a shirt collection, like bananas
1: man. And you got rid of all the flyers yeah.
2: too? Flyers and everything. And you know what's crazy? I wish so, I knew you
1: then. <laughs> so I
2: sold I sold my zines and flyers to this guy who had a used zine store in in San Francisco in the mission. And and you know, he was like, I'll just take everything for like two hundred and I was like, That's fine because you're gonna help out my parents. It was in their garage, you know. Okay. He sold it to UCLA and now there's an archive with my name on it oh, of sick. the back the Max Ward power <laughs> violence archive and I didn't even know people like wrote to me there they're, they're like yo dude you got an archive and I was like whatever I thought they were joking and shit and like they were, they, it was real and I was like it is
3: clowning
2: yeah I was I couldn't <laughs> believe it I was like holy shit he sold it to UCLA man Hey, do you guys have a
1: few minutes to wrap it up? We have to do one more uh, break. It's uh, less than a minute, and so I'll re-invite you, and then we can kind of just wrap it
3: up. Sounds
2: Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Okay, thanks. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate,
1: 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs,
2: dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden, and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Now we are about to give away. We're going to pick winners this week for the Jeff Rowley Skateboard and a pair of shoes from Vans. We got a bunch of names. Thank you to everybody that uh, put the time in to contribute to the contest. And we're going to pick two winners out of the Talking Schmidt hat. And we have our executive director to do the honors. So here we go. Winner number one. This is going to be for the pair of Vans shoes. And the winner is...
0: Sean Sanford
5: of San Francisco, California.
1: Sean Sanford gets a pair of shoes from Vans. Email me your size and... uh... Address and we'll be sending them off to you, buddy. And now for the big winner of the Freedom Skateboard Deck, signed by last week's guest Jeff Rally. And the winner is Maurice Her-
6: Herboka
0: from Seattle, Washington.
1: Maurice Herboka. From Seattle, Washington. All right, congratulations and thank you. It looks like the giveaways are going to be coming in hot. Just got off the phone with the nice people of Derby, San Francisco, and we're going to be giving away a jacket from Derby in the upcoming weeks. We also have video games from Tony Hawk that we're doing. So the fun never ends here, kids.
5: John Guapo, where's my sauce? Hey, where's my sauce? Where's
0: Guapo? Hey, where's the bite sauce? Tomato, where's the spice? Get those chilies coming, hot, hot do you know it. In. Stuff like gold. We got the new sauce. <gasps> Rock. Yeah. New kick. New flavor. Mot sauce is here. Step up to the plate and lose.
1: Like Hitler, the German shepherd coming down from the Bronx. Fight moose, you sound as soft as a goose. all right so uh where are we now tank crimes re-released some of your guys stuff is that right
2: yep well first max did
1: with the 625
2: yeah Yeah, i I wanted to get the um the lps so kind of the standalone lps back in print and particularly in vinyl format and stuff so i've been trying to keep those impress and um uh you know for relatively inexpensive and also just to keep it within the family so we had kind of control over it and then uh and then Scotty from Tank Crimes offered to do full releases of a lot of the collection CDs that had come out and Scotty's like family so I think all of us were like you, you, you can you, trust it. Yeah, exactly, and like he'll he'll do it right, and and uh, and yeah, and so is he that did that. Is that
1: digital or is that vinyl as well?
3: No, uh, well, he did some of the. We we have three collection CDs, and he repressed those. So just CDs. But then he did one of the collections as a double album on vinyl. Yeah, On vinyl. Yeah. Oh. So we we talked about doing more, but um, you know, he's kind of had some other like pretty big projects so um but he could sell cds and that was kind of huge because i really wanted the stuff to be on cd um because people would hit me up for them, and the cds like secondary market you know they were starting to go for a lot of money because they had been out of print for so long
5: oh
1: mm. fuck so did the band kind of get bigger after it was not a band anymore
2: yeah I, yeah, you know, it's pretty funny. I, somebody was telling me, they were trying to explain, I love it when people help me understand myself and my history, <laughs> you know? And so, like, some, somebody was like, you, you, you know what spaz has become? An entry-level band. You know, like, you're the band that some kid, you know, who's probably, like, listening to, like, Blink-182 or something, and then they see somebody with, like, a spaz patch, and they're like, or Charles Bronson, like, you know, one of those two bands, and then they pick it up. And then they get introduced into this whole world, and you know, to be humble of much better bands than spaz, but you know, then, uh. then they, they enter into this scene, right? You know, and I was like, you know, I was like, okay, I understand that. Like, it's it's like a name now, you know, and like, um, uh, yeah, just a way I think for people to just kind of get turned on to this kind of more kind of extreme style music but we're kind of like a gateway you know into that or something and it seems yeah i mean i i can't believe people are still into it you know it's pretty crazy i never thought <laughs> kind I of the flip, was, the
3: flip the yeah. flip side to that though is it got bigger than we anticipated and it kind of got a little too big and we weren't really paying attention so there was a lot of bootlegs starting to oh. happen and, you know, we've been over the past few years really trying to control like merchandise, you know, um, because it became a band where it's like, oh, I'm going to start a bootleg shirt company. So I'm going to do negative approach and I right. do discharge. I'm going to do spaz. You know, <laughs> it's like, what? Did you and guys
1: have a copyright or trademark on that stuff?
3: No, no, <laughs> not not really. Yeah. Um,
1: so is it tricky?
3: It has been. You know, I I don't know. I mean, we we have a couple of things set up. Like, you know, it's like if Scotty's putting handling the digital and the CDs, you know, then he's invested in trying to recoup his money there. So if he finds somebody who's jeopardizing that, then he can go say, hey, you know, you don't have the rights to do this. Right? Um, huh. You know, it's it's not like big business, you know. So it's not like the copyrights and lawyers and all that kind of thing. But there is. A pretty interesting thing that happened where uh that clothing company supreme you know like really just kind of stole one of our images um and and kind of repurposed it as a supreme image and it was kind of like whoa that's crazy you know yeah um and that was kind of for me when when somebody sent me that i was like whoa okay this this has become you know more than just tape trading record trading type stuff you know
1: Whoa! which image was that
3: uh it was like a bruce lee i mean we had stolen <laughs> really <laughs> the image for first <laughs> uh, but but it was just the way it was laid out and the font i mean it was identical oh, okay you know, it was obviously you know done as a as a nod or whatever or rip of spaz but it just kind of made me be like whoa you know we're we're like maybe part of pop culture now in in a broader sense than just like hard underground hardcore punk you know
1: do you think that the name spaz is a big part of it like why are people drawn to it later do you think like is there something that comes out in that like i think it was in uh it was in that movie with mark gonzalez right gummo
3: it's on we're yeah. on the soundtrack no. Oh, We're not sound- in the film, but the oh. soundtrack was really hard to get. Okay. I think it really was just, you know, the ability to listen to stuff on YouTube and, you know, basically like. Right. The, Once the availability. the
1: world hit, you start going in rabbit holes and okay
3: yeah it's like oh here's this band that doesn't have a digital presence you know so it's basically fans uploading stuff and mm. um you know it it's like kind of the, that generation's tape trading but okay. then it's like being done on a corporate platform where you, people can monetize videos and you start getting into this kind of hey you know maybe we need to take a little more control over this and you know it's like we're for the kids but at the same time it's like you know i don't want you know it, it, it bums me out to see people you know printing up a shirt that looks like shit that has my band that has some artwork that you know i designed for my band on it you know Absolutely. it's like why don't we do it properly you know yeah yeah, <laughs>
2: huh. yeah I, I think it's funny that you know now and this goes with skate culture too That there's a certain kind of authenticity attached to an aesthetic that was from the 80s and 90s, that was before digital. And so, like, all the stuff, Dan and I spent so many Saturday nights at a Kinko's down on El Camino Real with glue sticks and scissors and, you know, photocopying stuff to make it look like crap and then cutting it out or ripping it out and gluing it down for all the flyers. And, like, now that, you know, becomes kind of an aesthetic that is trying to be replicated in a digital you know yeah. way or something you know but it's it it's just mind-boggling I, I can't even get like my head around you know where things have kind of gone and again how popular the band has gotten whether it's just a name or if like people actually really do like the band I'm just like I'm, I'm surprised by it all you know? right interesting
1: so, yeah. huh. Well, shit, what's going on in, in your guys' worlds today? Um, you're in Vermont, you're teaching?
2: Yeah, yeah, I am uh, I teach at a college, and so I'm uh, basically a professor of Japanese history, so I'd like research. Oh, hey. Yeah, research and write on um, modern Japanese history and teach that, and um, trying to... You know, it's, it's, it's been a long road with within that. You have to work really, really hard to basically secure a job in that realm. And so once I was able to do so, like I've been able to kind of turn back and think about like reconnecting with bands and reconnecting with bandmates and mm. checking out new bands and trying to support like new bands. So like now I'm kind of like reconnecting, but it's been, you know, almost 15 years of being purely in academia.
1: Hmm. Do you get yeah. to go to Japan as a write off then for your work?
2: Yeah. And and so actually actually the, the scene that I'm most involved in the scene that I'm most involved in is is the Tokyo scene. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I've seen more shows in Tokyo over the last two decades than I've seen any place else. And uh and you know, my closest punk friends are 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 there. So yeah.
1: And you're still doing the six two five.
2: Yeah, and in fact I'm trying to I'm trying to do it properly because, you know, again, I came out of the twentieth century. So I was like, you know, glue glue aesthetics and like put out a vinyl record. And now, you know, somebody told me the other day, like, if you don't have social media, like you don't exist. And he was totally right. And so like I started an Instagram, and next thing I know, like people are writing me and contacting me and you know, and um and we're doing hard foul which is dan's new band these bastards split uh ep and cassette tapes coming up and just trying to do you know reconnect and kind of do things properly but i'm still kind of like learning what that means within the 21st century right
1: all right you well know? if you guys want to do re-release a dirty in the donuts i got the masters <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> uh, and dan are you still doing uh hip-hop stuff
3: yeah yeah, that still going? do it uh, pretty good. Um, I got a group called Grand Invincible. It's me and uh, Luke Sick from Sacred Hoop from Palo Alto. And uh, we've been doing that since, I don't know, maybe like 2007 or something. Rad. Uh, we, we finished a new album and that's going to be out on uh, Iron Lung Records. Uh, hopefully like in October or so. Hmm. Um, and then I do beats for all sorts of people, man. I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of for hire if somebody hits me up, wants something for an album and I've done projects with like, you know, me and Eddie Kay from, uh, from Frisco did a project, uh, like last year. And, um, I actually, oh, I have another project called Dank Goblins. Yeah, dude, the split uh, the split
2: with healers. Sick.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So that's like that's more of an instrumental thing. Um a friend of mine in Vegas plays drums and he sends me drum tracks. And then I chop them up on my MPC, and then I might add a sample or something from a record, and then I send it to my buddy Frank, who plays bass. He's in hard foul, plutocracy, agents of Satan. Send it to him, he puts bass on it, sends it back to me. And then Luke Sick is also kind of a, a noise artist, um, and he will add samples and stuff. So we actually are working on an album right now.
1: Um, oh, okay,
3: that that's probably gonna it's gonna come out next year.
2: Fuck um, yeah.
1: What what was that thing? Did you listen to KFJC on Sunday night? So it was like Kevy Kev or somebody. KZSU oh,
2: yeah, right? yeah. man, the yeah. drum. GZSU, the yeah. drum.
3: Yeah, so yeah. dude, he does a uh, Instagram live mix every every day. Oh, right! Really? Like six or seven PM in his basement. Fuck. That was yeah, crazy
2: man.
3: Yeah, oh, that man. that was huge, man. And I mean, it's that so was like big. during Spaz too. It was like, yeah. Uh, that was a something I was listening to. You know, tape it and then listen to it all week, and then tape the next one and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, they had a hip hop, and
1: then they had a punk version too. Yeah. And that's you would just gobble that shit up. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great resource for finding new things and things that were going to, you know, last the test of time and all that. Like, yeah, we're pretty blessed for that. I I, I like it better. I think as a good way to stay social, too, instead of just be stuck to your monitor all day and all that stuff. Yeah, totally. I don't know. Um, and then Chris, he's no use for a name.
3: He was he, in no use for a name. He was. Yeah, was one of the founding guys. What's
1: he doing now?
3: He's got a band called Trappist. Trappist down in L.A. Uh, Uh, They put out an album maybe a year or two ago on uh, Relapse. I'm not really sure what else he's doing musically.
2: He was singing for um, To the Point. Oh yeah, To the Point. And he um, he had also he was playing in just a a gazillion L.A. bands for a while. I mean, he was playing bass for Infest and and stuff but um yeah so he's in la and just staying like super active and creative he's you know, got he a
3: never... pretty funny podcast too really uh, called the uh, hour of the barbarian okay and that's basically the trappist guys do okay. do a podcast too so they're like a band and a podcast
1: i'm really into podcasts right now i've been like i get up super early like without an alarm and i go on like an hour walk every morning and i just listen to like Usually Bill Burr on Mondays because he has one every Monday. And then the rest of the week, I'm either listening to... I I was like super attached to the news for a while. And then I realized like, this isn't good for my depression. Like my Xanax uh, prescription was going through the roof. I had to like (laughs) mellow out the levels. But no, podcasts are cool. They kind of feel like retro, you know? Like it feels more like... I don't know. It's close to a radio show and like that old vibe. So I've been loving it, dude. It's I'm stoked. You guys came. Um, Any other shout outs or anything we need to kind of mention in closing?
2: Um, Rest in power to Andrew Huber out in Wisconsin. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 yeah, we lost a skater there. So, you know, I mean, hopefully skaters recognize like, whether you choose a side in this or not, like your chis- your side has been chosen, you know? So.
1: I listened to a lot of radio the next day on that stuff. And one of the things that was really powerful for me that I listened to was whether you wear a mask or where you don't wear a mask shouldn't be Republican or Democrat. It should just be a value. And for me, I was like, I think it's uh, Wisconsin, right? And yep. Like, he was around the cops and they were just like, yeah, dude, you need some water? Are you are you thirsty? Like, that is insane, so insane that I feel like we're not in 2020 and we're not in the United States. Those were my first two reactions. Like, I got in some crazy time warp and I'm in, like, the middle of fucking I don't even know where, dude. That was shocking.
2: Yeah, I mean – We're in weird times, you know, and even the specialists who are supposed to, you know, understand these things are also all just kind of scratching their heads as far as, you know, how we got to this point. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, again, kind of going back to one of the earlier points that we were talking about, it's important you know, to like have these kinds of communities through skateboarding, which is international, you know, it it doesn't come down to national identity or citizenship or whatnot. It's just, you know, for the love of, of, you know, doing it and supporting each other and same with punk, you know, and hardcore and hip hop and brotherhood. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so, you know, every scene's got its problems of course, but you know, this scene can work it out a whole lot better than, you know, society at large and stuff. So, I mean, it's just a really important time to kind of maintain these kinds of, you know, relationships and communication and supporting each other and checking in on each other and stuff like that, you know? I want to say a
3: shout out to all the skaters that listen to Spaz and kids that put Spaz in their little homemade video clips and send them to me on Instagram. I mean, that shit gets me pumped, man. You know? What's
1: your Instagrams?
3: Uh, I'm Dan Lactose, at Dan Lactose on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Hit me up, man. If you want to put spaz in your skate video, hit us up, man. <laughs> we're, we're 100%, you know, Red. about that, you know.
1: What's your, you're now you're on Instagram, Max?
2: Yeah, I'm at 625 underscore thrash. It's just, it's just the label. So it's not oh. actually like me, me personally, but just trying to kind of get the label and you know, info out, but you know, Chris is on there too, with slap a ham records and stuff. So if anybody's interested, uh, you know, hit us up Instagram or email or whatnot. Yeah. All
1: right. Well, usually on the show, the way we end it is we have the guest pick a track that we roll off into the sunset listening to, but I'm thinking you both need to pick a track and if there are only 10 seconds or something, we might have to pick a few tracks. Because <laughs> we got like a 30-second uh, credits reel. So it's has got to oh, be okay. like 30
2: seconds. Is there limits to this? Or do we have to pick a spaz thing? Or do no, we have to you pick, can do like, whatever you want. I mean, there's so many, man, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I definitely yeah.
1: want to play a spaz song. So maybe you could, uh, you know, suggest one and we can put it even during the interview at some point. I know Dan's
3: got five Uh, (laughs) I'm just like looking at all these records here man like it's overwhelming
2: yeah I was gonna say like JFA the great equalizer that's a great song (laughs) skate hardcore song but yeah i mean if it's spaz dan i'll, I'll let you uh
3: well going make, through make, all this old spaz stuff you know i i rediscovered uh, a song that that i think is my favorite song and it's that uh Redenbacher, orville reddenbacher's uh, orgy of hate fear and destruction or i can't remember <laughs> the song title necessarily uh pestilence something like that
5: Fuck.
1: I love. Hey, I'm a. I'm a. Fuck. I don't know if there's a bigger fan than me of popcorn. I eat popcorn every night. <laughs> me too. I, me, me too. Me too. Every fucking night
5: <laughs> with my me lunch too. every if day. I don't have I, popcorn
1: I always... one day. It's super weird. Do you yeah, have yeah, a whirly pop? I have like so many different ones. I have this one. My girlfriend got me. It's like a rubber one that you put the kernels in and you put it in the microwave. If you're like, you know. But uh, Alyssa Steamer gave me this insane recipe that you do from scratch with like uh, coconut oil. Coconut oil, and man. Fucking, that's the secret. You know what the key is, is nutritional yeast. Yup, yep, the yep. yum. Yep. Mm, <laughs> <done.
3: laughs> they might have to do a part two about uh, popcorn recipe. Hey, huge fan. I made a
1: tutorial with Alyssa. Like we filmed the whole how to make popcorn. It was great. That's sweet. Oh, man. But yeah, we'll get Orville Redenbacher because I'm looking for that Orville Redenbacher sponsor.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully, this doesn't uh, screw that up for you. (laughs) How sick would that be? Sponsored
1: by Popcorn. Done. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I was also thinking, I mean, if you want another one, uh, you know, a a band that influenced us when we were first starting out was Siege, and they have a song called uh, Break Down the Walls. Oh, okay. Is it called Walls? right now man in the the world you know yeah yeah
1: no is there a place you can go if you can't for you know for some people that can't understand the lyrics is there a place that you can go to read what's being um discussed
3: there might be some fan stuff (laughs) but you know there's no online spaz lyric i think that would be a
1: good uh like a uh giveaway the first person that can give me the lyrics to this song wins. So can,
3: there you go. I could come up go. with the prize. A spaz
1: patch. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, fuck yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, Max, if you ever come to uh, the Bay Area, hit me up. Let's all fucking get together. Um, hopefully, this. Uh, there's no light at the end of the tunnel right now, but I think once... There is a light, it's gonna come in fast and we're gonna be out of here quick. So I'm hoping. I sure just, so. Yeah, I think it's gonna be like that. I think you're gonna everything's gonna seem bleak and then one day the news is gonna be like, Hey, these guys figured it out. It's uh A S D F G H J up down left
2: right D A star You know. Oh, let's hope, let's hope
1: fucking hell well yeah thanks you Schmitty, it, for kids. doing it yeah, man this is yeah, yeah thank you Schmitty. this right, is healthy
3: Schmitty. too mental health right here you know connecting I, with some homies you I, know absolutely
1: hey thanks man that was great i had a great time yeah thanks, thank dude. you yeah yeah good, yeah, years, and good yeah. luck out in vermont and dan let's fucking cross paths more often that's crazy i, so, I forgot man. about
3: uh
1: aurora, aurora, uh, yeah, aurora yeah that's yeah. cool Oasis all right. is
3: gone <laughs>
1: all right guys take care huh Yeah. Hey,
3: thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Be well. You too. Peace.
6: Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews in a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at Talkingschmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at Talkingschmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmidty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.